Uh, I want to speak this morning about a tale of two trees. Last week we talked about a tale of two gardens and, and you know, kind of referenced the, the, the Garden of Eden and the Garden of Gethsemane. But I want to talk about two different trees uh, this morning because really all of our story started around a tree. It started around a tree that God said, listen, you can have everything you want. You can have the whole uh, uh, shebang, but leave this one tree alone. And mankind, uh, we just kind of have this bend towards doing things that we shouldn't do. It's just the way of it. And, and, and it's an old nature. But when you get born again and you're in Christ, bless God, you get a new nature. And you begin to pursue the things of God. But everything kind of comes around a tree. And, and if you remember the story, Adam and Eve are there. And then all of a sudden, uh, a snake or the serpent shows up. And begins to talk to Eve and is talking to Eve about the idea of how God doesn't want you to eat the, the, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because somehow God wants to withhold something from you or, or God doesn't want an equal or something like that. Number one, there is no equal with God. He is immeasurable. He is unstoppable. He is overwhelming. So the idea of you uh, being, of God having something that He would want to withhold from you doesn't make any sense. Because the Bible later says, He who would not withhold his own son from you, what, would he, what else would he withhold? So he says, uh, they're sitting there and they're around the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and, uh, and the snake shows up and begins to talk. Well, number one, temptation will always show up in unexpected places. A snake should have never been talking. And, and can I just say this? If a snake ever talks to you, don't walk, run away from that thing. Not messing with any talking snakes, you know. I mean, a parrot's about all the animal I want to talk. I don't, wanna, I don't even want a dog talking because they might tell on you, you know what I'm saying? But, but the whole thing with the snake is it was completely unexpected. Uh, temptation in your life will always show up in a place where, where you have let your guard down. In a place where you have uh, decided that, 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 that it was a safe place and you could just let it all, let, let every... Listen, there's so few places in life where you can let your guard down completely, it's not even funny. The primary place is the throne room of God. And that comes in a, in, a, in a place of worship and that's with you and Him. That's not with anybody else. But when you let your guard down, listen, when you let your guard down, temptation is always there to throw a fiery dart or to drop a seed. That's why it work. When you're around certain people, that, that, that's why uh, 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 and with your family, when you're around certain people and your guard just begins to come down further and further and further and all of a sudden you're at a place where temptation begins to take root in your life and you begin to converse with temptation instead of speaking against temptation. Eve and Adam, but specifically Eve in that reference, was, was tempted by the devil by talking about the, the, the fruit from the one tree that they couldn't eat. And Eve began to discuss with the enemy of God uh, different areas and different facets of why the tree was, you know, why she couldn't eat it and all these different things. But Jesus, when the same thing happened to him, the Bible says he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted and the devil came and tempted him with food and he didn't converse with the devil. He didn't start to negotiate with the devil. He didn't start to patronize the devil. No, he said, it is written. 
When you sense temptation come into your life, you are going to need to pull out the revolver, uh, 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 the shotgun, the rifle, whatever you want to call it. You need to pull out the big guns of the Word of God because the one thing that will never return void in your life is the Word of the living God. So she's sitting there and she begins to get tempted. It happens to us at work. It happens to us at church. Ooh. Happens to us at church. It goes from, from uh, you know, we're, we're, just, we're just believing God for somebody and now we're talking about somebody. It, it's where you let your guard down. You say, well, the devil would never show up in church. He was in the Garden of Eden. So many different ways. It, it, temptation just, just comes in. Can you picture a snake? Have you ever seen a snake show up and tell everybody, I'm here? No, a snake just like, it's like the, he wasn't there and then he's there. I've been, I, I'm a hunter. If you don't like hunting, I don't even know what to tell you. Eat vegetables. But, <laughs> but I'm a hunter. I'm a fisherman. My little boy is seven and he's a hunter and a fisherman. There's not a day goes by. He doesn't want to hunt something or fish something. You know, he's just, he's just into it. But, but, but I, I'm, I'll never forget. My dad told me when I was little, he said, never step over a log in the woods without looking over it to see if there's a snake there. And man, when you're a kid, your dad will like, you're, you're walking and we'd be squirrel hunting. And, and squirrel, those rats that live in trees, you know what I'm talking about? Anyway, we'd be walking, we'd be about to step over a log, and he'd put that big hand on me, and he'd go, did you check for a snake? And I'm like, oh, every log, Dad, this is crazy. And I'd look, and there was no snake. There was never a snake. And so I would walk. And then I remember uh, when I was 15 or 16 years old, I was squirrel hunting out by myself one time, and I'm walking, and, and, and there's this log, and I'm just walking, and, and I have that thought, look over that log before you step on it. And I, then I had the other thought that said, he's not here, I don't have to do that. And I went to step on the log, and I went to go over it, and there was a water moccasin that long and that big around sitting there coiled up on the other side of that log, and I jumped over it, and I thought, well, bless God, you need to check for snakes before you go over a log. But, you, but, but snakes show up when, when you don't expect it. It's with your family. It's with that person that you spend all that time on the phone with or all that time texting or all that time, you know, uh, emailing. It's where you least expect it. And then you find yourself saying things and doing things that you didn't, that you didn't expect. And really right now I'm just kind of talking about gossiping and backbiting and, and talking bad about people. If I want to get heavy, I would say it like this. Listen, it's when, when you, when you, sir, you don't ignore that perfume that walks in the room. It's where you least expect it. It could be at work. It could be, uh, it could be a coworker and, and you have to, you have to be in close quarters a lot and, and it just makes sense. And all of a sudden you're talking and listen to me. All of a sudden you, you catch eyes with, with him and he catches eyes with you and a spark flies. That's how it starts. But let me tell you what a spark does if it does if it's not quenched. A spark will burn your house to the ground. Temptation comes where you least expect it. One of the things that Crystal and I do, and you don't have to be like us, but this is one of the things we do. I just I just I'm just never alone with a lady. Just not gonna happen. 
Friends, family, I, I don't care. I don't care if their last name is in-law. They're not gonna, I'm not going to be alone with them. You know how many people, marriages fall apart because of somebody that was married to somebody else and they just became such great friends and all of a sudden everybody's guard was let down, somebody's eyes catch somebody else's eyes, a spark fly and they don't have enough maturity in Christ to recognize temptation when it shows up and before you know it they're having to decide who gets to walk who down the aisle because they're not married anymore. I'm not losing my marriage for nothing. I'm not losing my walk with God for nothing. So as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. And when I sense the devil coming in, tempting the situation, I'm going to tell him, get out of my house. The divorce rate in church is roughly the same as the divorce rate for people who don't go to church. God help us. It's a different thing when you live for God. It means that I'm not going to give in to temptation. But listen, that means you've got to be looking. You've got to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Some conversations that you've had with uh, people of the opposite sex or people of the same sex that you should be having with your spouse, bless God, stop robbing those conversations from the covenant of marriage and keep those conversations in the marriage. Who has been praying because I feel this all over me today? It is a different thing when you decide I'm not going to be tempted. But the problem is it's a subtle temptation. The devil never shows up with a sign that says, I'm the devil and I'm here to ruin your life. He shows up subtly, covertly. The Bible says that he was more cunning than all the other beasts. So he shows up real, real subtly and real small, real, real, just, just a little dark, just a little dark. Listen, here, here's another thing interesting. The devil never told Eve to eat the fruit from the tree. He just simply planted a seed. Number two, the most powerful thing in your life is a seed. Period. The most powerful thing in your life is a seed. If you deal with a seed, when a seed is first put in the ground, it's nothing uh, but, a, but, a, but a little handheld shovel, and you dig the thing up, and you throw it anywhere you want to throw it. But if you let that seed germinate, you let that seed take root, you let that seed get some water and some light, you let that seed grow, before you know it, you've got an oak tree that you need a bulldozer and a, and a, and a chainsaw and some dynamite just to try to get it out of your yard. When if you'd have just dealt with that little seed in the beginning... It had been nothing. Boom. Seed's the most powerful thing you got. I'll tell you another story about my dad because he's here and I like talking about him. <laughs> we had a, we, I come from a small town, Jasper, Texas, over in East Texas. And, and there was a, a family there that owned a bed and breakfast that had a, a restaurant in it called the Bell Gym Hotel. It was a very historic place. It was very neat, very nice. Their name was the Styles. Great family. Uh, Mr. Styles, David Styles, he used to work at the King Ranch before. So he had all these cowboy stories and stuff. And it was just a, a really great place. And uh, over the years, we had developed a relationship with this family because we ate there quite a bit. It was like a, a soup and salad type place. And, and sometimes they would have gumbo. And man, their gumbo was phenomenal. Whew, their gumbo was good. <laughs> but we would sit there. And we'd have conversations. And one day, uh, we're sitting there reading. And, and I said, Dad, I said, Dad, I'm looking at the, the, daily, the daily menu, you know. And I said, Dad, uh, what's kichi? 
He said, son, that's quiche. I said, oh. I said, well, what's quiche? He said, men don't eat quiche. I said, okay. Bless God, I'll take, I'll take a tuna sandwich. Men don't eat quiche. What am I going to do? So I'm probably eight, nine years old at the time. And every time I've ever been to a restaurant, a bit of somebody's house, and they said, man, I made this great quiche. I said, I'll pass. <laughs> Listen, I got married, and, and my father-in-law is Cajun, and he is like one of the best cooks I know. And one morning, we're sitting there, and I'm over at the house, and we're, we're about to eat breakfast. Everything smells. I, I smell sausage. I smell uh, uh, eggs. I smell cheese. I smell, I smell just potato. I smell everything wonderful about breakfast. I can't wait to eat it. Are y'all hungry yet? And, and, and he, say, he pulls it out of the oven. He goes, man, I made a quiche. And I thought, oh. <laughs> he said, what? I said, I don't eat quiche. So what do you mean you don't eat quiche? He said, it's sausage and eggs and cheese and, and potato and, and some vegetables. I said, man, men don't eat quiche. <laughs> My father planted a seed on the inside of me when I was eight years old. And to this day, I've never had a bite of quiche because a man won't eat. They're not supposed to eat quiche. Now, I, I have since learned the trick because I'm not going to be bound by a bunch of legalism. They said, well, I made a quiche. I said, you mean breakfast casserole. I'll have some. Thank you very much. (laughs) But a seed, a seed not dealt with is one of the most powerful things that you can come in contact with. God put Adam and Eve in the garden. He told Adam, he said this, I need you to dress it. I need you to tend the garden. I need you to take care of the garden. I need you to make sure that everything uh, about the garden is taken care of. So number three, you got to pull the weeds. You got to pull the weeds. Listen, you don't have to plant a weed. You got to pull a weed. Listen, weeds come up and they start as just a little old seed. And before you know it, they're choking all the nutrients out of the soil. Before you know it, they're choking all the life out of all the crops that you want to grow. Listen, you got to get them out of there. When Listen, the seed of adultery, it doesn't come in uh, in a hotel room. No, it starts long before that. It starts when you begin to meditate on a thought that you shouldn't be meditating on. No, you got to pull the weeds out. Listen, uh, discontent. Uh, the Bible says that I'm, I've learned to be content when I've got a little bit and I've learned to be content when I've got a lot. Discontent, no, that's a weed. You're going to pull that out of your life. You're not going to focus on the things you don't have. You're going to focus on the things you do have. No, oh, th- th- you're pulling, pulling the weeds out. You're not going to sit there and focus on all the stress and the strain. You're going to focus on the peace that passes all understanding. You're going to pull the weeds out. You're going you're to sit there and you're going to be so conscious of your family dynamic that whenever you recognize a seed that, that is beginning to take root of something that does not line up with the Word of God, you're going to pull the weeds out of the garden of your life so they don't grow and choke everything out you're trying to grow. Number three, number four. You have to plant and protect what you want to grow. You've got to plant and protect what you want to grow. How do you plant in the garden of life? Everything Jesus did, He did with a spoken word. 
when God created everything that you've ever seen, He spoke it into existence. Commit today to never speak ill of your children. Commit today to never speak ill of your wife, your husband, your fiancé. Come on, if you, want, if you want to have a fiancé, don't you start speaking ill about people. You've got to plant what you want to grow. My children, I don't know if they get tired of it, but they ask me all the time. I just tell them, I just tell them all the time, oh, you are so special. Dad, why do you say that so much? Oh, it's true, baby, you are special. What do you mean I'm special? Well, you're strong in God. You're strong in the Lord. You're smart. You're an overcomer. You're victorious. You say, you tell that to your kids? I've been telling that to my kids before they could speak English. I was talking to Crystal's belly through her belly button. You're more than a conqueror through Christ. She said, you're going to wake them up. I said, I don't care. Never speak ill of your family. Never speak ill of your resources. I never have enough. Whoa, 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 whoa. You plant what you want to grow and then you protect it. You protect it when the winds come, when the hailstorms come, when the weeds begin to take root around it. You protect what you plant so what you plant can grow, which means you've got to be on purpose about what you plant. You can't be putting just oh any seed in the ground because you'll just get oh any result. If you want corn, you plant corn. You want green beans? You plant green beans. You want, you want some, uh, uh, your resources to break out? You start talking about your resources like God talks about your resources. You say, no, He supplies my needs according to His riches and glory. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor have I seen their seed beg bread, and neither will it happen to my house. You begin to plant what you want to grow. He said, my husband, he hadn't, he hadn't said I love you since the day we got married. And the only reason he said it that day was because a preacher told him to say it. Listen, you start planting what you want to grow. God, I thank you that my husband is overwhelmingly strong in you. I thank you that he's supernaturally able to lead this family. I thank you in the name of Jesus that his love for me never fails. I thank you in the name of Jesus that our relationship's going to get stronger over the next 20 years than it was in the first 20 years. I thank you in the name of Jesus that you've made him to be more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. Well, you plant what you want to grow. Your husband, you say, my wife, I can't do anything right. Every time I come home, there's something wrong. Every day, she's always bothered with something. I, I, I'm always messing. Well, bless God, I thank you, God, that you've given me a kind-hearted uh, wife. I thank you, God, that you are going to make her dreams come true. I thank you, God, that she's the head and not the tail, blessed in the city and blessed in the field. I thank you that our children are going to rise up and call her blessed. I thank you, Lord God, for the love of my life, who I will honor and I will serve until you come back and get us, oh God. You begin to plant what you want to grow. And let me tell you what happens when you do that. You begin to get a harvest. But it all really comes down to two trees. The first tree, God took it, planted it in the garden, 
told Adam and Eve, don't eat of this one. Adam and Eve uh, didn't do what they were supposed to do. And they pulled the food, they pulled the fruit from the tree, were found guilty in the garden, and were abolished from being able to stay. The one tree that changed everything, and it really comes down to what is your, what shadow are you under? Are you under the shadow of the tree that gets you thrown out? Or are you under the shadow of the tree that draws you in? Because Adam's tree, knowledge of good and evil, it changed the world for me and you. But there's another tree and there's another man. Some people call him the second Adam because he had no earthly father and Adam had no earthly father. Christ Jesus comes to a place where he doesn't find a tree that has been planted by God in the middle of a garden that he had been abolished from. On the contrary, he walks through a garden blameless and guiltless on his way to a place to plant his own tree. He passes through the garden only to go through all the ridicule and all the overwhelming stress, strain, and torture and torment that was designed and should have happened to you and to me. He takes it all. He goes through and he he takes a different tree. Instead of a tree that was planted for him, he took a tree and planted it for you. He takes a wooden beam bolted to another. He puts it on his back and begins to haul it up a rock hill while a bunch of Middle East terrorists beat him within an inch of his life. Spitting on him and ridiculing him. He carries that tree up a rock hill to a place called Golgotha. Golgotha is interesting. It means the place of the skull. And he took that tree that he was dragging up that rock hill. And when he finally got to the place, that tree was planted in the top of that hill, which is to say, if you can get in the shadow of the new tree of life, you can win the battle for your mind. Adam and Eve, they plucked the food from the tree which gave them the knowledge of good and evil. And Christ came and became, according to John chapter 6, the bread of life and was then nailed back to a tree. He hung there bleeding and dying for you and for me. So that when temptation came in, whether in the form of a snake, whether in the form of perfume, whether in the form of uh, deciding to talk about somebody else or somebody else's religion or bless God somebody else's church or whatever you want to talk about, any of those temptations that begin to come in, He did all this so that you and me would have the power to abstain from what the enemy is trying to get you to do. In the original tree, the food was plucked from it. In the replacement, the real tree of life, our cross, the food was nailed to it. Colossians chapter number 2. Verse number 13. I'm going to read it in the New English translation. Even though you were dead in your transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, He nevertheless... Nevertheless means even though you were that, he still. He nevertheless made you alive with him, having forgiveness, having forgiven all your transgressions. 14 says, he has 
destroyed. Everybody say destroyed. What was against us? A certificate of indebtedness. Expressed in decrees opposed to us. There was a written uh, uh, law against you and you owed your life. He has destroyed what was against us. He has taken it away by nailing it to His cross. He took all of your insecurities and He nailed them to that post. He took all of your shame and He nailed them to that tree. He took all of your sicknesses and He bore them on His body and He nailed them to the tree. He took all of your shame, all of your hurt, all of your longing, all of your loneliness and He nailed it to the tree. He took your debt and He calls it paid. If I gave you a car, a nice one, if I gave you a Mercedes Benz, handed you the keys, And said, this is paid for. It's yours. It would be unlawful for anybody else to come to you and say, no, you have to pay for this car again. You cannot, you could not, and you would not have paid your own debt. Only Him and Him alone. And He did it in the only way possible by replacing a tree that was riddled with curses after sin entered into the world, reversed the whole thing and nailed His own body, the bread of life, to a new tree that you and me, if we will find ourselves in the shadow of those beams, we will find ourselves washed white as snow. They took His body And what was interesting is they watched him bleed and die. And in the moment when, if it was me on that tree, and my dad was the God of all creation, I would have called legions of angels to come and kill everybody that messed with me. Michael, get him! Pull me off of this tree! He said something far different. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The ones who hit him, the ones who spit on him, the one who drove the rusty nail through the skin and sinew of his hands, he's asking his daddy to forgive them. There's a new tree. It comes with new opportunity, new joy, new peace, new life. He said, it is finished. And he gave up the ghost, he died. And I could sense his followers, the disciples, and I would probably have been the same way, scratching my head. How can the one who raised the dead be dead himself? How can the one who healed the sick be dead himself? How can the one who walked on the water have these people, uh, allow these people to do what they're doing to him? How can this be, oh God? 
I could imagine it. It would be unbelievably stressful in that moment for everybody who followed after him. But when he said it's finished, they took his body. You see, the devil will always slip up. Always. And he thought, he said it's finished. It must be over. I don't care what they do with the body. And some Christians, some believers on Christ, took the Son of God's body and they wrapped him in a cloth. They laid him in a borrowed tomb. They laid him in a place of death. They put him in the ground. They left him there because there was a Sabbath coming and some things that had to happen. But where the devil messed up is not caring what they did with the body. Because Jesus is not just the Son of God. He's not just the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's not just the one who paid the price for you and me. He's also a seed. The most powerful thing you'll ever come in contact with is a seed. And the interesting thing about a seed is when you put a seed in the ground, it doesn't just grow one seed. It comes back with a harvest. So when they took the bread of life, plucked him from the replacement tree, and put him in the ground, three days later, a harvest broke out that has not stopped for 2,000 years. They took life, plucked him from a tree, put life in the ground, and life began to grow, and now still continues to grow. And now the Hallam family is different, and the Smith family is different, and the Martin family is different, and the Holman family is different, because life was placed in the ground, and life began to begat life. And when you have a seed, you've got everything you need. Christ Jesus is your seed. Quit carrying your own burdens. It comes down to two trees. You can decide today what shadow you'll live under. You can live under the shame and the guilt and the torment of a tree that you had nothing to do with. Or you can live in the shadow of the peace and the joy and the love of a better tree that you also had nothing to do with. Stand to your feet, please.